Good evening, ghouls and ghoulettes, and welcome to Killer Horror Critic, the podcast worth dying for. Hosted by the Killer Horror Critic himself, this is the show where guests from all over the horror spectrum join to talk about some of their favorite horror films. So get snugged under the covers, grab a cuddly puppy, and prepare for tonight's blood-curdling episode of Killer Horror Critic. Good evening, horror fans, and welcome to another episode of Killer Horror Critic. I'm your host, Matt. And I'm Chris. And this is a horror podcast where my wife and I argue and critique over horror films, like a couple of drunks at the bar. So maybe never quite learn anything. Maybe we never enlighten you. Hopefully we do. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, But hopefully you just have a good time listening. So tonight we are continuing our Sharks, Sharks, Sharks theme of the month with the 2016 film The Shallows, uh, directed by, I'm totally going to butcher his name, directed by uh, Jaime Colette Serra, who also did the film, uh, the 2005 remake, A House of Wax. Uh, he also did the uh, the film Orphan, and he's as well doing the upcoming uh, Jungle Cruise movie. He's doing uh, Jungle Cruise? He is doing Jungle Cruise. <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, so he's got a really great track record, great filmmaker. But it was directed by him. It was written by Anthony Jaswinski, uh, who wrote a film called Christy, which is a really good kind of slasher thriller that uh, follows a, uh, a college girl on the campus over Thanksgiving break, and she's, like, being stalked by a killer or whatever. Uh, that one might actually still be on Netflix if you want to check it out, but also very good. So anyway, <laughs> uh, so it was written and directed by those guys, and... It, it basically just follows uh, a woman played by Blake Lively who ends up getting attacked by a shark on a sort of secluded beach and manages to, like, you know, uh, find herself on a rock. Uh, and then she's literally trapped between, like, a rock and a hard place in the sense of <laughs> she's trapped on this rock and bleeding out and she has to find a way to get to shore or kill a shark, whichever comes first. <laughs> Otherwise, she's going to die, right? So... But before we get into our spoiler territory with that, we have our usual spoiler-free content. So as far as releases go this week, uh, there's a few really good ones. So uh, first up is a film called Candisha, which is coming to Shudder. And these will all be out by the time you're listening to this. Uh, But it's Candisha, and it's from the same team behind the French film Inside, which is the really intense graphic one about uh, the psycho who's trying to, like, cut this baby out of a woman's body right like it's like a really twisted home invasion movie but anyway it's from them and it's basically about these three women who one of them is uh one of them is sexually attacked by this one guy that they know and they end up discovering this sort of Candyman-esque legend of this sort of like demonic woman named candisha who if they call her and summon her, then she will punish uh, men or whatever. Mm-hmm. Only after one of them accident, or not accidentally, but after one of them does summon Candisha, Candisha decides, well, I'm going to go fuck up all the men in your lives. <laughs> <laughs> and then it's these three women trying to figure out how to stop Candisha, you know, before she kills everyone they know. So <laughs> That sounds pretty awesome. Uh, it's it's a really great concept. I I really enjoyed that element of it. It's got its problems, you know. Uh, I, you can read my review on KillerHorrorCritic.com, but basically, I ultimately kind of felt that it 
it gets away from our heroes a little bit too much in the sense that because there's three of them, mm-hmm. I felt like we never really got the 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 necessary sort of attachment to the men that are dying, you know? It's sort of <laughs> they're just like, cannon fodder. <laughs> it kind of feels like that at times, you know. Uh I, I'm not saying that the script didn't try, but mm-hmm. that's how it ultimately felt, you know. It just it, it just th- there's a lack of suspense in the script because the three girls feel safe for a lot of it, right? Yeah. And because they're not the ones being hunted by Candisha necessarily. And then on top of that, you know, without really having much attachment to the men who die very quickly and brutally, like the gore in the film's amazing and Candisha herself is fucking awesome. <laughs> but it just, it was just missing some elements that really like would have solidified it as a great movie, right? Yeah. It needed um, a final boy. Maybe. <laughs> I, I'm not, I'm not going to say that because this movie's not really about men yeah. in that sense. You know, it's not trying to make men the hero. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Quite the opposite. <laughs> But it just—it's it just a really cool villain that I want to see more of. I hope the film does well enough, so definitely go check it out, and you know, hopefully we can get a sequel maybe. But uh, so another one coming out, and this is coming to Netflix is Blood Red Sky, and this is basically—I'm sort of referring to it as like Die Hard meets Snakes on a Plane with a vampire, <laughs> only it's not as cheesy as Snakes on a Plane or as action-packed as Die Hard. So. I feel like that's a pretty uh, accurate summary, though. Yeah, so it's basically about this woman and her kid, and they're on a transatlantic flight overnight to America for, like, some mysterious uh, uh, doctor's appointment that she has, right? And during their flight, a bunch of terrorists end up taking over the plane, and she gets to reveal that, in fact, she is a vampire and proceeds to fuck them up. So (laughs) (laughs) it's my my only issue with this. Like, I really enjoyed it for the most part. I think it runs a little too long. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because uh, it's a little over two hours. I think it runs a little too long for the premise. And also, uh, I just wanted more action and suspense. And yeah. it kind of feels like somehow it just kind of fumbles that a bit. Mm-hmm. You know, like it goes through these massive slow points <laughs> and, and just kind of feels repetitive at times because... You know, I just, I don't know. I felt like they didn't really utilize the uh, the setup really well. <laughs> yeah, they definitely could have done more, but I think the vampire design in it is really cool. The vampire design is great. Uh, the gore is great. You know, I... I <laughs> I think in my review I called this a bloodbath of twenty thousand feet, and that's kind of <laughs> and that's kind of what it is. Like the third act definitely gets into a whole lot of vampire carnage that I think horror fans are really going to enjoy. But yeah. but no, so it's worth checking out. You know, if you can stomach the two hour runtime, which <laughs> I know seems like forever to people these days, uh, if you can do that, I think you'll have a good time with it. And lastly is M Night Shyamalan's new film Old, which is coming to theaters. And uh, I have not seen this one, so unfortunately you cannot read my review on that. You can read <laughs> my review on the other two on KillerHorror.com. But Old is, you know, basically about this these families that end up on this secluded island and discover not only can they not get off the island, but they're also aging rapidly. Uh, it's an M. Night Shyamalan movie. I'm sure there's going to be some fucking crazy twist. Of course. <laughs> uh, to go along with all of this and... You know, Shyamalan's always been an interesting filmmaker. The the thing that I love about him is that, you know, it doesn't always work. And you could argue that a lot of his films are failures in this sense. But, <laughs> uh, but, but I but I appreciate that he always takes the risk. You know, yeah. Shyamalan is this kind of filmmaker that really doesn't give a shit about appealing to the masses. You know, he yeah. wants he wants to give you the twist to his movie. He doesn't care if it disappoints you. He just he just wants to make his movie right mm-hmm. and. It, and I admire that. Like, I admire directors that don't seem like they're just kind of sugarcoating and and spoon-feeding everything to the audience, right? And Shyamalan's yeah. one of those. So. Yeah, he's just like, fuck you, this is my movie. Hopefully you like it. If you don't, I don't care. This is my movie. 
Yeah, so so like early things I've seen about it have been mixed. You know, mm-hmm. I, that's kind of the thing with Shyamalan. I don't expect it to be like a hit necessarily, yeah. but it looks interesting. So, yes, it does. So, so hopefully it will be. But uh, so those are releases for the week. So I'm sure there's something there that uh, can definitely keep you occupied this weekend. But uh, other than that, so another spoiler-free thing we do is on our Twitter at Killer Critics. We always like to put up a poll, kind of get your thoughts and feelings on the film before we get into it. So. Between love it, it's okay, don't like it, and never seen it, where do you think the audience falls on The Shallows? Um, look, I think The Shallows is a really good film and a really good shark movie, so I'm going to go with love it. Yeah, so you're actually correct in this yeah. one. It's, it's close, though. So 42% uh, say they love it, 26% say it's okay, uh, 4% don't like it, and 28% have never seen it. So th- this is another one of those where I look at it and then I go... I'm a little confused by the never seen it number. Yeah. You know, this was a major theatrical release. I mean, mm. I don't know if I want to say major, you know, it's not a fucking Marvel movie, you know, <laughs> since that seems to be all anybody fucking cares about anymore. But um, <laughs> but it, it was a summer blockbuster film. You know, it was put out in theaters during the summer uh, and and it was only in 2016. You know, mm-hmm. so so I'm a little bit shocked that not more yeah. people have seen it. Um, But it's, it's got Blake Lively, who people seem to like. Seem to, yes. Yeah. So, uh, so no, and it's a shark movie. Who doesn't love shark movies, right? So, uh, so I'm a little surprised by that. But yeah, no, Love It takes it, which I totally get. That's kind of where I fall on it. You know, I think yeah. I think it's a great film, and we're gonna talk, you know, about how we feel about it in a sec. But we have some comments here that we always like to go along with these. So these are all from Twitter. Uh, first up is at that Joe Myers. So that's that J O E M E Y E R S. And they say, I slept on the shallows far too long, thinking it was going to be some 90s straight-to-video quality dreck. <laughs> Couldn't have been more wrong. What a wonderful edge-of-your-seat shark horror thriller. Well, I'm glad that you really ended up liking it once you gave it a chance. I think it's kind of understandable, like, you know, 2016 was around the time that, like, what, Sharknado was getting popular, right? Around that. Um, I mean, I, I think it had been a little popular before that, but yeah, I mm-hmm. mean... Sharknado was around. Right. I mean, I feel like it's easy, especially nowadays, to like look at any kind of shark movie and kind of be worried that you're going to get like, you know, a hokey B movie level movie. But yeah, The Shallows does a really fantastic job of building tension and scaring you, which I love. Well, look, you know, part of the reason for that was, is, uh, and I'm sure there will be someone out there that wants to correct me if I'm wrong on this, but, <laughs> you know, the way I look at it is so, you know, shark films kind of. I don't know if you want to you I don't know if you want to say peaked but they you know they sort of peaked in the early 80s uh and probably even before then really I mean mm. you know shark shark movies were kind of a joke by like 1980s <laughs> <laughs> uh and and you know whenever jaws 3 came out but but you know but they they sort of fizzled off after that for a bit and then the the 90s was this period of just like nonstop like sci-fi shark movies and then especially into the 2000s that became the thing right you had you had one that escaped and managed to be a great movie you know like deep blue sea Mm -hmm. uh and then you had a couple other minor you know a couple other ones like open water but for the most part yeah over through that time period it was just a bunch of like really bad jaws jaws knockoffs right uh mostly coming from sci-fi and the asylum and places like that so uh so i'm not i'm not surprised that that you know Joe or anyone else would look at this movie and go I don't know probably just some dumb shark garbage right like yeah. it's I I get that mm. <laughs> 
but I'm glad he checked it out. And I hope that more people do, you know, either from listening to this or just with people talking about it more, hopefully is just that, you know, it is a really great thriller. It is a really great film. This was actually, I could be wrong, but if I remember correctly, I think that the shallows was actually, uh, the number one script on the blood list at one point, which for those of you, for those of you who don't know what the blood list is, it's so so in Hollywood. I hate saying shit like that in Hollywood, <laughs> uh, in this in elite wood. Um, but but in the industry, there's this thing called the blacklist. And it's this collection of really popular scripts, right, that are being passed around. And they're all kind of ranked by like producers and agents and stuff like that. And so maybe it was actually one of the popular scripts on the blacklist. I could be getting the two mixed up. But either way, the blood list is a collection of purely horror thriller scripts and so it was it was the number one on one of those uh-huh. and i'm just going to assume probably the blood, the blood list yeah. but uh but but it was a really popular script and it's easy to see why when you watch this movie because it's thrilling it's got mm-hmm. really great build up there's a lot of great shark action yeah. i i actually think the ending's really fun which i'm going to talk about in a Fucking little bit love so. the ending. <laughs> so anyway thank you at that joe myers for the comment really appreciate it uh, next up is at Becky Tyler Art. So that's Becky, T-Y-L-E-R-A-R-T. And they say, The Shallows surprised me. I liked the main character, which has become so rare that I'm grateful that they didn't intentionally make her unlikable. I'll use Great White as a comparison because I thought they were just petty, jealous characters, and I didn't <laughs> care if they lived or died. <laughs> and when she says Great White, she's referring to a shark movie that literally just came out called Great White. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it is the one thing that I feel like shark movies suffer a lot from is that you have main characters. Or oh, cast. not shark movies, horror movies in general. Well, we're talking specifically about shark movies. But yes, yeah, you're right. It is a problem that we have in the horror the horror community that we have a lot of main characters that just aren't necessarily likable. And it's not as much fun when the characters are just canon father. Well, yeah, I mean, look, somewhere along the way, you know... Whether it came from fans or writers or producers, I have no fucking idea. But somewhere along the way, you know, there, there, there started to be this consensus of like, uh, horror's better when I just hate everybody and can't wait for them to die. And I've never gotten behind that because no. I'm just like, you know, I, I don't think that you need to have empathy for characters for a horror film to be a good film. Uh-huh. You know, there's a lot of argument about that lately too on, you know, just what is empathy and whether or not characters need it in a movie. Yeah. Um, I don't always buy into that. I think that it depends on the story. You know, obviously you don't want to be telling me a story like The Shallows and have me not give a shit about Blake <laughs> Lively's character. I think it's kind of necessary if I'm going to care about what's happening to her, right? Yeah. But it's not always, it's not always an absolute. You don't absolutely always need it. But the thing is, you know, somewhere along the way, we just decided, well, we don't need any of that, and horror is just about people getting killed off, so I just want to hate them and, and cheer when they die. And it's like, no, no. I, I want to care about these people so that I actually, you know, feel worried for them when they almost die or right. when they when, or when they do die. Like, I want to feel something in these movies, right? So yeah, even, he- even Friday the 13th, like, the, it's a natural... You, you might not even realize it when you're watching those films, like... You know, you might be watching Friday the 13th Part 4 for the first time, and, you know, maybe there's part of you that's like, they're not going to kill the kid, or you're not really thinking about the fact that maybe you kind of like Tommy Jarvis or whatever, Mm -hmm. but part of the suspense in that movie is subconsciously you're thinking, man, I hope Tommy Jarvis, you know, beats Jason and gets out of this alive (laughs) and they don't kill this fucking kid, you know? Like, it's, like, if you care, you know, if you have some sort of caring for the character, 
that's something that's working on underneath in your conscience, right? So, yeah. and it makes the movie so much more fun and interesting. Like, yeah. it's boring when you hate the characters because then you're just waiting for them to die. Whereas, like, being able to root for the characters is so much more fun. Right. So, so I I didn't hate the I didn't hate Great White. I think I gave it like an okay, you know, review or whatever. But mm-hmm. but I will agree with Beck in the sense that the characters are not so great. Like. Yeah. <laughs> Like it's not it's not that they're all, you know, completely inept, jealous assholes, but they're all just very flat. A lot of a lot of forced characterization and stuff like that. But yeah. uh, anyway, thank you, Becky Tyler Art, for the comment. Appreciate it. Next up is at run Kyle Run thirteen. So that's run Kyle Run and then number thirteen. And they say, This is the first movie where I was convinced a CGI shark could be believable. <laughs> I thought the plot was interesting and didn't feel like a lazy Jaws ripoff. I also appreciated the runtime of this movie because I think the movie's premise would have suffered if it were any longer. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think the runtime for this movie was the perfect amount of time for us to get invested. And then it hits the point where it's just like, all right, fuck it. Now we have to deal with this fucking shark. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they did a really great job on the CGI for this shark. And I think that it benefits from the same thing that jaws does we don't see the shark a whole bunch and a lot of times it's a moving shadow it's kind of off frame and i think that really works for this so that the the few times we do see the shark a lot he looks awesome it's not overplayed you know there's a lot of deaths that happen off off screen even and i think that's part of the brilliance kind of of this film oh yeah no i mean that this film it's interesting because it understands when it needs to be minimalist and it understands when it should go further than that, right? Because <laughs> there, there are definitely moments in this movie that are not minimalist. No, yeah. But no, it works really well that way. I, you know, I look, I'm always going to knock the CG a bit. <laughs> I, I am one of those people. I know that there's all this talk of like, CG doesn't make a bad horror movie and blah, blah. And yeah, no, I agree with that. I don't think that just because CG is in a film, it makes it bad. Mm-hmm. But I will say like, I'm not going to pretend like, you know, bad CG isn't worse than good practical effects. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna pretend like it doesn't affect the movie in any way whatsoever mm-hmm. in those moments. So but I but I will agree that is a you know, for as <laughs> for where CGI was at at the time, and I say at the time like it's so long ago, it's only five years, but where it's at then, you know, it's a good shark. It's a yeah. good CGI shark. There there's some really great shots of it. There's a few shots that <laughs> I, I, I would maybe take out of the movie if I could, <laughs> if I had the power to, right? Um, but for the most part, it looks great. But no, you're right. But it uses minimalism to great effect in this movie, which is a big, big reason why I like it. Anyway, thank you, Run Kyle Run 13 for the comment. Appreciate it. Uh, next up is at Shutterpoint13, another 13 one. Uh, so it's at Shutter, S-H-U-T-T-E-R, point P-O-I-N-T, and the number 13, so Shutterpoint13. Anyway... They say, loved it, felt like a high-stakes battle of wits between a woman and a shark for survival. Each action had consequences. The audience felt the weight of each of the protagonist's choices as each decision brought her either closer to safety or exposed her to more danger. Yeah, it's, you know, it's impressive when that happens because when you really boil, you know, the shallows kind of down to a film... There's not a lot of action sequences. Um, you know, there there are moments, but it's a lot more about the emotional journey of our character, of Nancy, who's following. And so it is, they did handle the action very smartly. And I have to give it up to the fact that, like, for this being a shark film, the fact that almost every time we're in a water scene, they're able to build tension, that's fucking impressive. Like, 
I I don't feel like with a lot of shark films, I'm always scared when the characters are, are in the water. But I feel like mm. the Shallows did a really good time of every time Nancy's in the water, I'm like, fuck, well, just get out. Just get out. Well, that's because most of the shark movies you watch are like Sharknado. So yeah, that is true. They're, they're or aim, Sharktopus. Their aim is to never scare you. Um <laughs> Uh, but no, but I mean, it's not that you're wrong. Like, it, you know, the film does a really good job of building the tension. That's that's a big, that's a really big part of why it's so great. But no, yeah, I I agree that it, you know, you do really feel the weight of the decisions in this film, and there, and it's the best kind of horror film in the sense that you never, you never feel like Blake Lively's a dumb character. Mm-hmm. You know, you never feel like Nancy's a dumb character. You're not, you're not sitting there thinking every choice she makes is terrible. You know, a lot of the bad choices she makes are out of very human things like curiosity or or just out of fear and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Like it's never it's never necessarily that she's dumb. Like swimming up to a dead whale, <laughs> you know, it's it's curiosity. It's not necessarily being stupid. Yeah, you wonder what the uh, fuck those seagulls are doing. Right. So so but but it, it but the weight is so heavy on it because <laughs> You know, Nancy faces very immediate consequences <laughs> for a lot of the decisions that she makes. And she gets beat the fuck up in this movie, right? Yeah. So uh, so you really do feel that, especially because you care about her. So uh, anyway, thank you at Shutterpoint13 for the comment. Appreciate it. And then lastly is a comment from at Tedekin. So that's T-E-D-A-K-I-N. And they say, like it until it became a Michael Bay film in the last 10 minutes. <laughs> you know, that's a that's a fair reason to have issues with the film. I'm just going to say that the Michael Bay moments just make me love this film even more. But I'm also a little, uh, I'm a little trash raccoon. So I love <laughs> the seriousness of this movie. And then when you go Michael Bay on me, I'm not, I'm not mad about it. <laughs> yeah. I, so I, I will say, I will say this, you know, I, it's funny because this is why I always, and I'm not saying that Tedekin would like the film any better if they were to watch it today, right? But, but I, but I do firmly believe in like going back and rewatching things if you mm-hmm. didn't like them the first time, especially if you were like into the movie for a bit, and then there's like one or two things that happen throughout that you know kind of put you off a little bit with it, because um, you never know if you're gonna feel differently about those things the second time around. Now that you kind of know what to expect, right? Yeah. And so I will say, like my first time walking out of the shallows. I had the exact same feeling. <laughs> I had the exact feeling of that where I was like, man, this movie was great. And then those last like 10 minutes or so, it just gets so crazy. And I don't know if I was into that, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, like it, it definitely, you know, knocked it a peg down for me, I think at the time. But now I watch it and I'm like, you know what? No, this movie actually earns that. Like this movie actually earns the kind of wildness in the end because it, it does try not to spoil anything here, but like it does gradually build to be more and more intense mm-hmm. to the point where you almost sort of feel like if you didn't have <laughs> as, <laughs> as wild and intense of an ending as you get, you know, it might, it might feel like a letdown in a sense. Like you might, yeah. you might kind of feel like you were robbed because, <laughs> because the film does such a great job of like tightening and tightening and tightening the tension throughout. And it gets bigger and bigger as it goes that you know if it went out with a whimper instead of a bane like (laughs) well and i feel like nancy like she gets to your point she gets the shit kicked out of her she deserves an epic ending not not to mention most great shark films and like a michael bay movie i mean (laughs) literally all of the great ones for the most part you know i mean jaws deep blue sea like they've all got pretty (laughs) explosive endings if you know what i mean um so So, so it's also not totally out of left field in that regard either to this genre, right? So yeah. anyway, uh, thank you at Tedekin for the comment. Really appreciate it. 
So one last thing we like to do before we get into spoilers, make it really quick, is we like to just talk really quick about the tagline, the film overall, and you know what we think of it. So the tagline for The Shallows was, What was once in the deep is now in the shallows. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's a tagline. It's a terrible... Look, I'm it's just going to say this. It's a any any shark person will be like, that's a fucking terrible tagline because yeah. sharks, those shark attacks are in the shallows. Right? So. <laughs> like, especially since that gets explicitly mentioned in Jaws, I feel like, come on, guys. This is a dumb yeah. tagline. A dumb tagline, but anyway. Yeah, uh, but good film. I really like this. I thought it was really well done. And I want to say for me with the shallows, when we went and saw it in theaters, I think that was when I was just starting to get into sharks and shark movies. And so it's got a really special place for me with that. Plus, the ending is totally a me ending, so I can't it, not love it. It very much is. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I, you know, the, as I think is usually the case with me, taglines like whatever on this. But yeah. it, no, I won't even say whatever. It's bad, a bad, bad tagline. But but no, but the film overall is great. I, I really do like The Shallows a lot. It's It's one of those where... You know, I, I do think it's a really good one for any uh, anyone who wants to be a screenwriter out there to, to check out and read. I, I think it's kind of just a really good example of a great script, you know, because you you have everything there that you need. Like you have very basic but effective like introductions of, you know, who this character is, why she's there. You have like really great emotional depth to all of that that thematically fits in with everything and yes i will be talking about all of that <laughs> as we go on um but but you have all that you have really great tension you have really great techniques to build the tension throughout like just it's a good movie you know yeah. it's definitely like it's one of the better kind of edge of your seat shark thrillers right so mm -hmm. so with that being said if you haven't seen it yet please do go check it out it is not streaming that i know of but it's very much worth the rental if you can get it. Fuck yeah. And with that, we're getting the spoiler territory now. So as usual, who do you want to talk about in this film? You know, we don't have many characters. We've got Nancy played by Blake Lively. Uh, Carlos played by Oscar Janetta. Uh, our surfer bros, her family. <laughs> <laughs> well, I want to talk about the best little sidekick, Steven Seagal. Or Seagal. However you pronounce it. Seagal. That's Seagal. the joke. <laughs> I'm not good at puns. But yeah, no, I I want to talk about her little bird friend. Um, And particularly because, A, I think he's awesome. I think it's cool anytime we kind of have a little, like, animal sidekick in something like this. Um, But particularly, I want to point out, um, because we got to see it with The Shallows, and we saw it with Bait as well, Um, kind of what I feel like is an anomaly in the horror genre, where mm. we get introduced to kind of like an animal sidekick, and the animal makes it to the end of the movie. Like we watched Shark, or, or we watched Jaws earlier this month, and Jaws has a dog we get introduced to that gets eaten by the shark. Well, I mean that's very different though. The dog, the dog's yeah. not any sort of main character in no, Jaws. No, it's not. But it, I think you can agree with me that a lot of times it's about a fifty-fifty split in horror films where you get introduced to like a pet and animal character, and they don't always make it so, through the film. So, so here, here, here's what I think is mm -hmm. the 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 general way that it goes in in horror, right? is I think that if you are just introduced to a pet, mm -hmm. but the pet's not, like, any sort of main piece, like, they're just kind of a background <laughs> character, mm -hmm. right? I think when that happens, yeah, you know, all, be <laughs> all bets are off. There, There's a very good chance that pet's not going to make it. It's probably going to die. But, 
But when the pet's like a, a centerpiece of the movie or, or, or a sidekick in this case, right? Mm-hmm. Nine out of ten times, they're going to make it because most times I think, I think a lot of horror fans and, and filmmakers understand like, yeah, we don't really want to kill the animal. You know, yeah. that's, that's, <laughs> we, we usually save that if we need it for like a really good, you know, dramatic effect, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or to just really fuck people up and say, yeah, our movie's not messing around, you know? Uh, but in cases where you don't need that, you won't really see that happen. So, like, movies like, you know, Bad Moon, which has a dog kind of star in it, mm-hmm. you know, this, like, the, the pet tends to live. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I'm just saying, I appreciate it. I'm glad that she fixed Steven Seagull up, put him on a little... No, sur- it's not Seagull. It's Steven Seagull. Seagull. That's what I said the first time. No, it's not. <laughs> Damn it. Okay, that bird. That that Steven bird. Just call him Steven. Steven. <laughs> I'm just, I was really happy to see her just like put him on the broken ass surfboard and he makes it to the end. Well, look, so this is another really good tip for screenwriters, right? It's like if you're writing something that that does have someone in a contained environment, you know, like like The Shallows, where you have Blake Lively just sitting on a rock for most of the movie, mm-hmm. uh, it's a great idea to to find a way to give them something like this, you know? Yeah. It's, why, it's why Tom Hanks has Wilson <laughs> in, uh, in Castaway because... When you when the character has no one to talk to, you know it's it's boring to watch characters just talk to themselves, yeah. right? Like it's not that's not exciting, you know. So so it's it's really useful to have something like this because then you don't need flashbacks of them talking to other people to have any sort of like inner monologue. You can have an actual thing there with them yeah. to interact with, right? And like and that thing hurts, like you know, in Castaway when when Hanks loses Wilson, you're fucking upset over that volleyball, yeah. you know, like because because it becomes a living thing in a sense. And I mean, the seagull's obviously living, but you get what I mean, like yeah. it becomes a person. Well, and that's what I feel like. I feel like the shallows is good about setting up the fact that nothing is necessarily safe, and so that's why I wasn't sure if when she put Stephen on the thing. Because she's talking about needing oh. extra time. And I was so worried that her extra time was going to come from her sacrificing the oh. bird. Oh, I mean, yeah, you know, you definitely worry about Steven through this movie. Yeah. And, that, and that's why he's there, right? Because, <laughs> like, you you think to yourself, look, either either Steven's going to accidentally get eaten by the shark somehow. Mm-hmm. Or, or Nancy's going to sacrifice him. Right. Like, you know, it's... Cause that, cause that's kind of the standard, right? Like, yeah. you know, you you always see some asshole throw the animal to the shark and, <laughs> instead of themselves. And look, I, I would do the same thing if I had to, right? Yep. Like, but it's not, you know. But it, but I would cry while I was doing it. Matt would feed Stormy <laughs> to the sharks. Look, if it was me or him, I'm just saying. <laughs> Uh, but if we have you, we'll just we'll throw you instead, and yeah, Storm I'm, can live. So. I'm the, I'm a sacrificial lamb if it means Storm gets to live. Yeah, we've decided. So, yep. but anyway, <laughs> so no, no, I I love that Steven Seagal is here. So who I want to talk about really quick is the driver Carlos. Uh, I believe it's Carlos. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to talk about him because I feel like he is sort of part of the central theme of this. All right, how so? Well, first of all, you got to look at it this way. Look, I. <laughs> You know, sometimes I, th- I I think that my my opinions on film don't always connect with everybody because I <laughs> I try to look at it from like storytelling points of view, right? Mm-hmm. And and I look at him as really interesting because he's the bookend. You know, Carlos is basically the bookend of the movie. He opens it with Blake Lively and he closes it with Blake Lively. Yeah. And he's not in the rest of the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, so so a character like that stands out to me because they obviously have something to do with the theme because 
do I, you know, people message me like, do I bore you if I talk about this stuff? Because I, well, I, I think it's interesting because you come at this from a different perspective than I'd consider. Uh, well, so, so, I mean, looking at it, it's just like, you know, a lot of times early in these movies, there's this kind of rule of like, that's where you introduce your theme, right? Is in yeah. these, in these first few scenes somewhere in there, that's kind of where it is. And mm -hmm. so anyway, I think you see it right away in the shallows because, you know, here's, here's Nancy in Mexico, in the middle of, like, the jungle or whatever, you know, on this super just beautiful, gorgeous drive, mm -hmm. <laughs> just full of, like, foliage and whatever, <laughs> you know, just jungle shit, right? Yeah. Uh, it's beautiful. And and here she is going through that, and instead of looking at any of it, she's on her goddamn phone <laughs> looking at her mom, you know? She's on her, she's on her phone looking at her deceased mom on this beach, right? Uh-huh. And... Carlos goes as far as to make the point to her of like, you know, look at all this stuff around you. You know, I, I don't remember exactly how he says it, but he mm -hmm. basically makes the point of like, put your fucking phone down and yeah. enjoy life. Right. And, and that's a huge part of the theme to me. Cause I think it touches on two things where it's like, you know, one, you, you realize right away that, that Nancy is trapped in this mindset of like, she just cannot escape the fact that her mother died. Yeah. And it's to the point where she is not enjoying the life around her. Mm -hmm. You know, she's not living. Yeah. And, and like, that's, that's the whole point of that scene is like, she's not living. She is, it, it's, it's, it's funny because it's, uh, and this is what's so clever about it is like the scene is presented as very happy and exciting. You know, there's a very mm -hmm. like pleasant vibe to it. She's having a fun chat with the driver. Right. Yeah. But really what's going on there is she is, very much grieving in that moment because she is staring at this photo instead of actually taking in, you know, the beauty around her and oh, living her life. <laughs> yeah. I think I just had an epiphany about Carlos. Okay. I think to your point, he's, he's our bookend. I think that he is her guardian angel. Yeah. So I, 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 I didn't think of it necessarily in that sense, but close in the sense that, you know, I, well, I, so I view I view him as less of a guardian angel. Mm. You can certainly say that I view yeah. him as less of a guardian angel and more of like her therapist in a sense. You know, like if you okay. want to like if you want to apply it to real world stuff, and not <laughs> fake religion bullshit. Um, <laughs> uh, I th I view him as a therapist. Like I think this movie has a really positive mental health message to it. Yes, and and I view Carlos as that. Where Carlos is like Carlos is like that really good friend who is sitting there and trying to help you, but they're doing it in a way that's not so aggressive, mm -hmm. you know, and they're just like gently pushing you and letting you kind of get there yourself. Right. Yeah. But, but Carlos is there for her in the beginning. He's, he's beginning to try to make her, you know, sort of live her life and accept, you know, find acceptance in her mom. Mm -hmm. Like it's it, like so much shit is working underneath <laughs> that. Like, yes. In the scene, he just asked her like, Oh, is that your mom? But deep down, deep down, he is, he is saying, <laughs> Get over your mom, motherfucker. <laughs> like, not not so harshly, but he's saying, you got to get over it. You got to start living or mm -hmm. you're going to be trapped on that fucking phone for the rest of your life, right? Yeah. And, and then he's there in the end to sort of be there for her when she finally comes to terms with mm -hmm. what it is that she's dealing with. And, you know, that's kind of the story of life is that when you when you finally do come to terms with, you know, those sort of troubles that you're going through mm -hmm. it's it's not an easy process like it leaves you like broken and scarred yeah. and, and torn apart right and that's how he finds her and he's mm -hmm. there for her at that moment too you know so so yeah i view him as like a therapist or like yeah. the really good friend who's you know trying to save their friend basically yeah, because <laughs> he, he pulls her out of the dark rescues sure. her from drowning 
Sure. Yeah. yeah all of that. So. Yeah. Well, so I'm kind of curious. Like, this is a very heavy thematic film because even I picked up on shit, which almost never happens. So I'm kind of curious. Like, she's, you know, Nancy's clearly going to this beach for a reason. What do you think that she's looking for here? I think, I think it goes okay. I think there, I think there's a, a very obvious answer to this, and a very and one that's sort of like further, you know, <laughs> underneath the water, underneath the surface, right? <laughs> so I think, look, I, I think it's pretty easy to pick up on in the sense that like she she is there to find comfort in her mom, yeah. right? She she's there to reconnect with with her feelings. Or, or she's there to reconnect with her mother. Yeah. You know, because this is basically a place like, you know, her mom has passed away. We, we assume pretty recently mm-hmm. uh, her mom's passed away. Uh, she's going to this place where her mom was pregnant with her, you know, and and we obviously get the sense that she's followed in her mom's footsteps in a lot of ways because her mom used to be a surfer. And now she's a surfer. Right. And she's coming yeah. back to this beach where her mom was pregnant with her. This very like private place right Mm -hmm. and when she gets there there's even like an island that she refers to (laughs) as like the pregnant woman island like that island might as well be her mom that she's referring to right yeah so like this place is basically it's almost like going back to the womb you know it's like it's like going back and trying to reconnect uh with your mom in that sense of literally going back to the time where you were a kid and they protected you and you were like in the womb with them and and they were all that you knew right (laughs) Yeah. And 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 I think that the the beach itself is very representative of that. And this is where it gets like a little a little deeper than her just reconnecting is like the beach itself is kind of representative of that because, you know, water and all of that uh, is often attributed to like, you know, the the womb and life and that mm-hmm. sort of thing. Right. You know, it's very womb like <laughs> in that sense. I, I love that and half the shark films are wombs. <laughs> Well, they kind of are. I mean, look, a lot of this stuff, you know, it touches on subconscious things that yeah. we don't always realize when we're making these movies or watching them. So, mm. so you know, so water is like very representative of that typically. And, you know, you, you, you have all these kind of references to that throughout because when she's on this rock, I mean, she spends most of it in the fetal position. Mm-hmm. Like she literally looks like, you know, a, a baby in the womb <laughs> of her mom, you know, and and, and she's there. Uh, trying to to find, you know, her mother again. She's yeah. there trying to feel her presence again. Yeah. And that's ultimately, like, what she's there for. She doesn't realize, I think, though, that her real reason for being there is to overcome those feelings and to get over it. Yeah. You know, and to move on. <laughs> I, I definitely agree with you. I think that this, this opening beach scene for me is kind of points to how smart and subtle this film is. Um, because they never, you know, we talk about her mom, it's clear that she's grieving, um, but there's never really a moment where they're expressly pointing out just how lost Nancy is. And there's this beautiful moment in the film where we kind of see, they joke, Carlos and Nancy joke in the car that Nancy is bossy and controlling and all that kind of stuff. And we kind of see more evidence of her being that way when she's unpacking her bag on the beach and Mm. all of her sunscreen is in a little plastic container with a label maker label on it that says sunscreen. Everything is meticulously organized. This is a woman who has always been very much in control, knows her path. And so for her to be so lost and off her path, to have given up something that she probably, to give up being a doctor, 
which she's probably worked really hard to do, mm. I think is very evident of just how much she's struggling. And I think that that's the beauty of this film is they never expressly say it, but it's in these well, little moments. Well, they don't have to expressly say it because yeah. it's all it's all there right in front of you. Yeah. You know, like it really is. So like, you know, first of all, to your point of how organized she is, mm-hmm. you know, a, a thing with that is that, you know, that that helps you understand why this is so tough for her. Mm-hmm. I mean, look, you know, I, I lost my stepmom a couple years ago to cancer. Like I, so I, I relate to Nancy in that sense a little bit. Like I, I get it. It's, it, it sucks. Cancer yeah. sucks. Fuck cancer. Like, you know, it's, fuck cancer. it's, it's very rough to watch somebody go through that and to lose mm-hmm. someone to that, you know? So I, I get where Nancy's coming from there, but it, so it's never easy, but it, but that organization that she has, that type of personality shows you how much more difficult this must have been for her because for someone like that who is so organized and meticulous and you know planned uh, the death of your mother you know that that's something that's that goes against everything you know that that is not planned that does not fit into your meticulous orderly lifestyle you know it's it's a disruptor it blows your life up Mm -hmm. so so for her you know it makes sense that she's probably handling this the hardest in her family you know even harder than her dad and her sister because she is that type of personality yeah you know and and anyway like you you end up seeing that sort of loneliness represented a lot of ways in this movie because one you know here she is uh being kind of foolish in my sense right of like coming to this island uh without any way to get back you know she her friend cancels on her she pushes forward anyway mm-hmm. uh chrissy or carlos even asks her like how are you gonna get back and she doesn't answer him because yeah. we know she doesn't know yeah. <laughs> you know and, and she's basically just like foolishly going off to this island in the middle of nowhere by herself with no way to get home mm-hmm. and then we li- <laughs> there, there is no better image of the grief she is feeling than her isolated on a rock by herself curled up in the fetal position yeah. i mean that's you know that that's like grief 101 right is there they're basically showing that she is on this island of emotion that yeah. she cannot get off of that's the whole theme of the movie is that she is you know forget the shark and everything else like the whole theme of the movie is just that she is fighting to get off of this rock that she is this this island that she's made for herself with her emotions Mm -hmm. and the whole movie is about her trying to figure out how to find the confidence in herself and the fight in herself to get off that fucking rock (laughs) not get eaten by the shark and not get eaten by the grief (laughs) shark (laughs) so you know all all that being said like speaking of the grief shark you know (laughs) do you think that there's any significance to the various animals in this film i mean with the shark and everything else included i think that every major animal has significance in this film okay how so <laughs> figured it out oh, you figured it out I figured it out <laughs> look we have we have three major animals in this film because i am not counting the dolphins um because those guys were assholes because they knew there was a shark and they didn't protect the human <laughs> they tried they warned her they it, jumped around true. her that's true but fuck those dolphins. So for me, the way I view it is um, you've got three major animals. You've got the whale, the shark, and Steven Seagal. Mm-hmm. I got it right. Sweet. So for me, the way I view it is the whale kind of represents her her plans. She had these grand, majestic plans for her life and how she was going to live it. And just like with this whale who probably got like beached or some kind of injury, something happened to derail it. And now it's getting slowly eaten by the goddamn grief shark. 
Because, yeah, I agree with you that I think the shark represents her grief with everything. You know, because with this, the shark nerd in me is going to come out a little bit because there's behaviors in this shark that we don't normally see with you great You can't whites. apply facts to this I can't, movie. <laughs> but they, there's a point to it, though. Okay. I am. Um, so... You know, with this shark, the big thing is that we're seeing is that it has a single-minded nature to basically take Nancy down. And we could argue that it's because she's bleeding and all that kind of stuff. Um, and sharks are norm known to, like, circle their territory, kind of. But I think really with this shark, it's a representation of her grief and the fact that it's circling. It's taking bits out of her. It's zapping her strength. And she's having a hard time overcoming you know, that aspect of what she's dealing with. Mm -hmm. And then Steven Seagal represents her hope. What? I'm laughing at me. I'm so proud of myself. No, no, no. Really quickly tell me how Seagal is hope. (laughs) So the way I view it is that I don't think that Nancy is so deep in her depression and her grief from losing her mom that she's completely directionless. And so I think that she's very much similar to to Steven in this, where Steven's injury really isn't that bad. You know, she's able to fix him up pretty quick. But, you know, when you're in that moment, like Steven, you can't really see how you're going to fix yourself, how you're going to fly again or anything like that. So I, I view Steven as, like, her hope of getting out. And so when she helps Steven, she helps herself. Okay, so, I, I mean... It. I did it! I did it! <laughs> I mean, I mean, sure. Like it's. Yeah. I mean that. Look, that's the thing with these things. Like you're never, you're never right, and you're never wrong. Like it just. <laughs> you're about to say I'm wrong. No, I'm not about to say you're wrong. I just have a different viewpoint on on exactly what I see these things as. You know, so like I don't quite view the the whale as. I don't even remember what you said. I don't her quite. Plans and goals and future. Okay, okay yeah, her plans. I I don't quite view the whale as that. I I view the whale as her mom. Actually, I view the whale as like you know her. Because the whale is also an island for her briefly, you know? Mm-hmm. So I view the whale as more like this dead thing. You never see it dead. No one, none of us, you know, most of us are going to go our lifetimes without ever seeing a dead whale uh-huh. <laughs> uh, in person, you know? And and so it's sort of like this, yeah, it's this unexpected thing that just suddenly interrupts her life, you know? Mm-hmm. Interrupts this day at the beach, this wonderful day at the beach, you know? <laughs> And and it and it's dead on top of it, you know. So yeah. here so here comes this like beaten, battered, dead thing that that she never has to deal with. And she literally ends up on top of it like an island. Mm-hmm. You know, so so I view that as kind of like the death of her mother, and that's our first sort of hint at this idea of she is on an island dealing with this death by herself, you know? Mm-hmm. And then we literally and then we get to the rock island, but it's still the same concept. So Yeah. So I kind of view that and, you know, the shark very much is grief. I, I, I definitely see it that way. Uh, seagull to me is less ho- hope can be a word attributed to it. I, I just plainly see seagull as herself. You know, I just see seagull okay. as as a, because, you know, it's not a human, you know, so she's talking to it basically like her conscience, mm-hmm. you know, so seagull is in a sense like her subconscious or her conscious, however you want to see it, uh, where she's talking it out with herself. So I view it as herself. And the fact that Siegel has this broken wing, to to what you're saying, is I think symbolic of the fact that she is broken, but she's not unfixable. Yeah. You know, and, and that's and that's the thing that, you know, that that I will say to anybody who like has recently lost someone, you know, or or is still getting over the death of someone, because you never really get over it. No. You're never you're never gonna 
You're never going to stop thinking about that person. And that's good. That's a good thing. Like, if you cared about that person, you shouldn't stop thinking about them. Uh, but but someone who has lost someone recently, you know, I, I would just put it as, like, you're not, you know, you're not broken. Mm-hmm. Like, you, it, you might feel that way some days. You might have days where you have no idea how to get out of bed because you're so grief-stricken. Uh, but life goes on. Like, it's cheesy, but that's that's the way it works, you know? Yeah. Life, life goes on, and that person would want you to live your life instead yeah. of, you know, laying in bed the rest of your life and, and grieving. Like, that's not what they would want for you, right? Mm-hmm. If they love you, that's not what they want. So, so anyway, so I view Seagull as her because it, it represents the fact that she is broken, but she can... But she is not irreparable. She can be fixed. She can have hope, like you said. She can live on. And then lastly, I'll just say, I, I think the jellyfish in this are kind of like... Fuck the jellyfish. <laughs> I think they're kind of like uh, life's... Or, or not life's. I think they're kind of like your, your, the nasty thoughts of your subconscious. You know, mm-hmm. all, all those thoughts that tell you things like, you, you can't do this. You won't survive. You, you won't make it. You won't get better. You know, I, I view them as that... Because they're like this last obstacle mm-hmm. between her and overcoming her grief, where she has to like fight through it to get to this little buoy tower, right? Yeah. You know, so they are kind of like all these thoughts that come at you when you're trying to deal with things that that put you down. You know, they're like self defeating. <laughs> yeah, and to your point, you know, I think there's that really great moment where she does still get tangled up in the jellyfish. Um, yeah, yeah, because yeah. because it, it's hard not to be. You know, put off or, or, or temporarily stopped by those thoughts. It's yeah. hard not to just ignore all of those and swim right by them, right? So yeah, but you push through. I will say that the jellyfish are the most terrifying moment in the movie for me. That oh, because jellyfish are terrifying. Yeah, I fucking <laughs> hate them. They scare the shit out of me. They're beautiful, but they scare the shit. Yeah, out where's of the me. horror movie that's just about jellyfish? I'm sure it's out there, and I just haven't seen it. But yeah, but it's <laughs> terrifying. You know, I think everything in this film really does have some extra meaning. So I'm kind of curious, like, what meaning do you attribute to the drunk on the beach just robbing Nancy? (laughs) I mean, so I I think that that kind of represents a lot of things that I was talking about earlier, which is the sense that, you know, so so I'll I'll use an allegory here. So when I when I was when I was 16 uh, or, or when I was younger, I had a really bad breakup that like, you know, for for those of you that remember those days you know uh or or have yet to experience those days like you know that's a time period where you just really don't get life you know you just really don't get it and that's not that's not an offense to anybody who's that age but it's like you really just don't understand how much more life is ahead of you at that point Mm -hmm. and so any sort of tragedy just feels like the worst thing in the world, you know, like nothing could ever be worse than my girlfriend (laughs) dumping me, you know, like, Oh, oh, life will never be worse than this, you know? So it's Mm -hmm. like, so I remember just slipping into a kind of like a black hole for a period where I didn't really care about a lot of things. Like I remember, you know, there, there was a, there was like a time where it's like, I wasn't necessarily suicidal, but it's like, I didn't care if I died at that time. Right. And, and that's so stupid to look back at it and be like, you were so upset over someone dumping you that you were like kill me now you know like that's like that's so ridiculous you know especially mm-hmm. for being that young and you have so much life ahead of you so so i kind of view this as like you know this dude robbing nancy i view it similarly to that where it's like you know nancy seems to be this character that just hasn't 
really accepted that, look, life is going to fuck you up sometimes. Life life is going to hit you in the gut. It's going to kick you when you're down. And it's going to laugh while it's doing it. And... (laughs) (laughs) You know, and and unfortunately, like, the best thing you can do is just deal with that, get back up, laugh in life's face, and walk away, you know? Yeah. And so, so to me, that guy stealing that stuff, you know, that's like life. I mean, think about this. Nancy is on a rock by herself. Mm-hmm. She is bleeding out of her leg. <laughs> it's becoming night. She's freezing. And literally the one fucking hope she's had of getting off this rock in this entire day is this drunk idiot <laughs> who steals from her <laughs> and then begins to leave without helping her, you know? Yeah. Like, if that's not a giant fuck you from life, I don't know what is, you know? Mm-hmm. And and so it's just, it's forcing her to accept that and be like, you are not going to be helped to get off this rock. You have to do it yourself. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that that's what it says to me is like, you are not... It is not going to be as easy as some drunk dude <laughs> calling 911 for you. You have to pull it together and you have to get off that rock by yourself. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I agree with that. I kind of viewed him in a slightly different sense as he was a representation of like poor coping mechanisms. Mm. Like, because, you know, when we're going through a rough time, grief and things like that, we sometimes lean into things that we think are helping us or helping us get through the day. And they're really not, they're not healthy. They're not, they're not good for us. And I feel like that's what I see with him of like, she's looking at him like, it's like a bottle of alcohol. He's a drunk. I'm just going to go He's a bottle him. of alcohol. Yeah. If you cut his veins open, he would bleed scotch. Like <laughs> Tequila. <laughs> or tequila, whatever the fuck he has. Yeah. I guess that is the Mexican drink, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> no, now scotch. I'm, I'm with you. He's full of scotch. All of Mexico, known for scotch. scotch. <laughs> I am. But no, I think that he's a representation of the fact that when we're going through a rough time, sometimes we turn towards vices or unhealthy coping mechanisms. And it literally takes them robbing us blind and getting eaten by a grief shark to be like, hey, maybe we shouldn't fucking do that anymore. The grief shark just ate him in half. Indeed. No, I mean, that's another way to see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, so so la- last thing I want to talk about here is, you know, wh- what are your thoughts on the fact that no one ever names the speech? You know, Nancy asks multiple times <laughs> and th- everyone on this island treats it like, you know, it's if I have to ki- if I tell you, I'll have to kill you kind of thing. Right. Uh-huh. Why? What? I- and-, and we never learn it. We no. never get the names of the beach. Why do you think that that's like a thing that's because this is a very. You know, this film is very specific. It, it doesn't really waste a lot of dialogue. I mean, even, you know, it, it's it, to the point where it's almost on the nose in a sense. Because, mm-hmm. like, if you look at that scene when Nancy meets the two surfer dudes, uh-huh. the entire dialogue exchange is just set up for when she's on the rock. Yeah. <laughs> the entire thing. <laughs> not a single word is said in that interaction that is not about setting things up later. So... So knowing that the film is that like intent in what it's doing, mm-hmm. why do we not learn the name of the beach? <laughs> like I'm gonna say, I'm glad that it's so intent because even I could pick up on the shit they were laying down, and yeah. I never do. <laughs> I'm very impressed with myself this episode. Uh. Look, I think that the whole reason that they never give the beach a name and they pointedly never give the beach a name is because the beach does not matter in this. You know, to your point, this is about Nancy's journey. This is about Nancy fighting through her grief getting her life back, getting kind of herself back. 
And so I think the whole reason why we never get a name is because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. This beach isn't necessarily even a place. It's a state of mind that she's having to fight her way out of. I am. Yeah. So, so putting that in different words, it's. God damn, that was so close. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I, I think you're right. Just putting in different words is that, or, or maybe clearer words is that. I like, am vague as fuck. It, to, yes, exactly. The, the beach is a place of healing. Mm-hmm. That, that that's what it is it's yeah. not you know and not just for nancy for for everyone who goes there you know like they all they all treat it that way mm-hmm. because for them it is that you know for for the other characters in this film we don't know them mm-hmm. but but there there's a sense of appreciation and respect for what the beach is supposed to be right mm-hmm. which is this place of healing which is this place in yourself you know, and and I think the reason why it's never named, why it's so secretive is is because think about it this way. You know, when you're dealing with a problem, mm-hmm. you know, how, how often has someone just said, oh, this is how you deal with it. And then automatically <laughs> in a minute, you're like, oh, OK, I get it. And I'm better now. Right. Yeah. Never. never. Like we never we even even when we get good advice we never just snap out of it right in the moment and everything's fine. Right. Mm-hmm. You know? So, so it's basically just kind of this idea of like, you know, just like, just like they don't just like the beach is secretive and not advertised is the same thing as like, there is no, there is no just easy answer to like how you get better, you know, yeah. and, and to how you, how you fix yourself. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's kind of what that is here is like, you don't you don't just look up, you know, here's how I get better in in like the uh, uh, whatever fucking travel websites, you know, <laughs> like you don't just look it up and it's like, oh, there's the answer. Right. Like yeah. you have to find it for yourself. And that's and that's basically the whole key to this is like the island is not advertised. The beach is not advertised. You have to go find it for yourself. You have to you know? find your therapist who's going to guide you through the jungle so you can fight a shark. Your, your, your therapist or whatever works for you. It, it's yeah. not. It's not about finding a therapist. It's. Mm-hmm. Ju- it's. Ju- it's just about finding the answer for what you need. Yeah. You know, it's about finding what you need in yourself to 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 want help. Because mm-hmm. that's the thing with Nancy is she, like she goes to this beach and it's a subconscious thing of wanting help but not acknowledging that she wants help. Yeah. You know, like in her mind, she's just going there to reconnect with her mom. She doesn't mm-hmm. really understand that part of her is really going there to try to recover you know yeah. from this so i do like the fact though that you call it a beach of healing when like three people died on that beach <laughs> well because these things are fucking perfect how many times do i have to say that like, i know it's just <laughs> funny to still point out you know it's it, ultimately that's what it is for nancy yeah. it's a beach of healing because even though people died even though she got fucked up she came out of that beach and she was like you know what i'm gonna go fucking surfing again Mm -hmm. as soon as i'm healed you know she goes right back she faces the grief and she's like i am not letting that shit keep me down anymore i'm getting right back in the water and i'm gonna live life and be around my family and i'm gonna be fucking happy god damn it and become a doctor (laughs) and become a doctor she fucking kick ass yeah so it is a beach of healing motherfuckers but only heals one nancy because the other guys die yeah, well, fuck them. Then. <laughs> <laughs> they were in her way. <laughs> All right, so we got to start wrapping up. So who is your killer idiot of the shallows? Like for me, that goes to the surfer boys because, what? like, okay, hear me out with this. 
They are very nice boys, but they notice Nancy, who they already know is a strong swimmer, strong surfer, and she seems to be marooned on a on a rock. And they're like, what's this fucking crazy lady doing? Yeah, nothing's weird about this. She's yelling about sharks. Nah, this is fine. Like, I, idiots, <laughs> pick up on the signs. Get the fuck out of the water. Yeah, you know, I'm actually gonna I'm gonna disagree with you there because you, of course. Well, because you're not thinking about it realistically. Like, think about it this way, you know. It's a movie. It doesn't have to be realistic. I know, but you're playing, <laughs> but you're placing realistic logic on it as if it's like, <laughs> you know, as if they're supposed to adhere to exactly the way you view the world. So I would just say it like this, you know, put yourself in those guys' positions. You've li- you've lived there your entire life. You've been going to that beach every day since you were a kid. You've never seen a shark there. There are no sharks there. You know, in your mind, sharks do not come to that beach. So when you see some fucking girl from Texas, you know, (laughs) sitting on a rock and you don't know if she's been there overnight. For all you know, she could have just left and came back again today. Right. Uh She could just be on that rock and freaked out because she thinks she like, you know, hit seaweed or whatever. Like, basically, I'm just trying to make the point of, you know. It's understandable that someone who lives there might not automatically believe her. Yeah. <laughs> She's a stranger. She doesn't belong there in their mind, right? So so it makes sense that they're going to question it for like one second. Mm-hmm. And look, they only question it for one second. You know, the, as soon as she shouts it again, they're like, all right, fine. And one guy starts swimming back to, it's you know. It's too to, late, though. It's too late. Yeah, no, it sucks <laughs> for them. But I'm just saying, like, you know, they don't even notice her until they're almost close to the rock anyway. So it's just, I I would say to call them the (laughs) dumbest people in the movie, maybe not for me. You know, I'm going with the drunk on that because, I mean, come on, the guy's... The guy's fucking wasted. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he he sees this girl. Look, I, no matter how drunk I am, I don't see a girl on a rock screaming for help and be like, nah, she's good. Like, <laughs> you know, there's still going to be a part of you that's like that girl might need help. You know, you're not. I, I don't know that you can be so drunk that you just don't even acknowledge it. But let's say that he does. You're going to be fucking stupid enough to go into the water drunk for a goddamn surfboard. You know, like <laughs> that's. <laughs> I mean, you want to talk about being stupid, like... <laughs> Maybe he was trying to help her. Maybe he was trying to pull her surfboard what, out. What was he going to do? What was he going to do? Surf over to her? <laughs> no, he just didn't want her to lose her surfboard. He was going to go and pull it out of the ocean so yeah, it doesn't get yeah, lost. Yeah, something tells me he wasn't helping her in that case. <laughs> yeah, no, he was robbing her. He was, just he was robbing, robbing her. her. He was straight up taking that surfboard to sell it. You know? I, I think he's lucky he didn't drown. <laughs> no, yeah, he's so much luckier that he got bit in half by a shark. <laughs> Okay, fair point. <laughs> what the fuck you mean he's lucky you didn't drown? <laughs> I mean, look, drowning would suck too. I think I'd rather drown than get bitten in half by a goddamn shark. <laughs> yeah, and he's one of our few like off-screen deaths, and Blake Lively makes he's us not, believe that it's a really horrific death. He's not off-screen. We've watched his upper half crawl away. <laughs> yeah, but we don't watch the actual attack. We watch we watch Nancy watching the attack. No, for sure. I think we see more of him dying, though, than anybody else. So... <laughs> Fair enough. I mean, you see the bite. You see it. You, you see, see half the bite, but we don't see the shark. Whatever, Chris. The shark is the important part. <laughs> sure. Um. All right. So, so okay. What about your killer death? Who's your killer death? Speaking of in the the shallows. Oh, that's the that's the surfer boy where the shark just comes up and just eats him. Yeah, I thought about that one for a second, and I was like, you know what? No, it's the shark's death. <laughs> like the shark. Death. Fuck you. The shark's death is fucking great. It is amazing. <laughs> it is a fantastic death, but it also makes me sad. It's just really clever, and I'll tell you why. Like, so, so first, uh, so when I when I first watched this film, 
and you have the moment where she realizes that that the water is soaked in oil from the from the whale, right? Mm -hmm. When she realizes that and she has the flare gun, I did think to myself like we are not gonna blow up another fucking shark. <laughs> Every fucking shark movie <laughs> for the most part ends with the goddamn shark getting blown to bits <laughs> and I just absolutely adore any horror film that's like, you know what? We're going to kill the shark a little differently this time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jaws happened in 1975. We've seen the shark blow up quite a few times <laughs> since then. Let's try something else, you know? So so it almost felt like when they do that moment, mm -hmm. it's like a homage to Jaws in the sense of like, haha, you think we're just going to blow the shark up. Ron, you know? And then they have this whole like, in my opinion, pretty inventive sequence where, you know, she ends up just like dropping with the anchor towards these poles mm -hmm. and last minute flips out of the way. Now, look, is it likely that she could actually do that in real life? Probably not. Probably not. I still think it looks fucking cool. It looks amazing. <laughs> look, I, I'm very thankful that at the time we originally saw The Shallows, I had seen very few shark movies because I didn't have that thought of, oh, shit, we're about to explode a shark because I didn't even know you could explode sharks. I just remember sitting in that what theater. What do you mean you did? What do you mean you don't know if you're going to explode? Fucking put a bomb in a shark's mouth. It's going to explode, Chris. Okay, yeah. Logically, <laughs> I know you can explode pretty much anything. I didn't know you could explode sharks. Okay, <laughs> fuck you. I didn't know that exploding sharks was something that happened all the time in horror films. Because I hadn't seen enough yet. So uh, I'm sitting in the theater going, light that bitch on fire. Light him on fire. And then I got this beautiful flame shark, which I thought was amazing. It's pretty great. It's the ultimate image of grief, this mm -hmm. hell shark. Well, actually, I think that the ultimate image of grief really is that like final kill to you because to your point you know grief can sometimes be so single-minded and so self-destructive that uh -huh. i think having that be the kill at the end of the shark being so unaware of everything else that it impales itself that's not even aware look, of the danger look at you i think all this podcasting is getting you to think about movies more nope it's just <laughs> the fact that this is a shark movie and the fact that the the themes are really fucking obvious that even no. I can get them. No, I mean I think that's a good observation. I think that's absolutely right. You know, it it's that is what grief does. Grief is very self destructive, and that's exactly how the shark dies yeah. by its own hand. So. Exactly. I just don't want our listeners to think that maybe I might be smart in the future because that's <laughs> not happening. Listen, guys, I don't I don't want to set a high bar or anything for myself. <laughs> no, no, no. I am a trash panda who everyone's in a once in a while has moments of brilliance. I'll be right back to being dumb next week. Exactly. <laughs> Don't get used to it. I'm a dr dumb little trash panda. All right. So, okay. <laughs> so, so no, but I agree. I, th I think that that's definitely it. Um, what about your killer MVP of The Shallows? So, despite working in film, I don't quite know everybody's roles, but... I feel like this movie is so beautifully shot, like all the angles and the colors and everything like that. So I want to give it to the cinematographer because I think they're responsible for all that, um, which is Flavio Martinez Labino. I think I pronounced that right. I might not have. I think Laviano. Laviano. There we go. <laughs> but yeah, I'm giving it to the cinematographer because look, this movie is gorgeous. This is a beautifully shot film. And the director did a great job of building tension and doing all of that. But the underwater scenes that we get in this film and the scenes from like beneath is just so pretty that I'm kind of mad about it. Look, why are you mad about it? Because <laughs> I like it so much. 
I I hate that this movie looks good. It makes me like it. Okay. <laughs> no, yeah, I I actually gave it to uh to Flavio as well because I think that this film is beautifully shot. You know, I mean, you could easily give it to the director. Uh, Blake Lively, I think, is a great performance. But I think fantastic. But but I think that this film, you know, to me stands out because it is so beautifully shot. Like, mm. you know, especially because the shark exploitation genre is one that is not <laughs> pretty it's not typically very well shot you know no. you, you have beautiful locations but it's not one that stands out in its imagery often right yeah. so <laughs> uh so so the shallows does though because it it's gorgeous like you know they they take full advantage of the setting everything looks beautiful you know the they they really enhance the look of the water mm-hmm. like it looks a lot of the color is lush it sparkles yeah. right like they they do a great job of that but then they also do things like just really cool shots like i love the shot where blake lively first gets attacked and you actually watch the entire screen like slowly fill up with blood underwater you know yeah. like that's a beautiful shot mm-hmm. uh and and then even just the way that the color scale tips throughout the movie like in the end when everything turns gray and rainy and like dark and it's like her last fucking stand, right? Like mm-hmm. that, that's just, it just all looks really good, right? Yeah. Um, so no, so I give it to him as well. But anyways, that's going to do it for us on The Shallows. So hope you enjoyed that. Uh, next week, we're going to be wrapping up our Sharks, Sharks, Sharks month, which Aww. with a film that a lot of people have compared The Shallows to uh, to me recently, whether or not I asked for that comparison, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I say that, and I say that because I'll post things, you know, like I posted the other day on Twitter that uh, that I thought that The Shallows is a beautiful film, and I had people respond with "The Reef is better," and I'm like, all right, hey. <laughs> like, like I mean, uh, yeah, The Reef is a great movie. I don't know what that has to do with me posting about how pretty The Shallows is, but. Anyway, yeah, next week we're talking about The Reef. And I'm going to be judging this film harshly. Well, so The Reef is very different in a sense. that The the Reef, I, I actually compared it, it's more similar to the film we were talking about to open this up, Great White, only the characters are much more likable. So, okay. Like, it's, 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 it's Great White before Great White came out, it, and, and it's kind of like a like a somewhat more brutal version of Open Water. So The Reef is basically... Yeah, I don't know why I'm talking about this right now, but the reef is <laughs> the reef is basically about people who are shipwrecked and find themselves like actually in the water, mm-hmm. uh, having to swim to shore. You know, and they're like not the middle of the ocean necessarily, but they're way out there. And it's like four people just grouped together, and they're having to slowly make it to shore as a shark hunts them. And it's this it's this Aussie horror flick. It's really intense and <laughs> Okay, now I'm excited again. Yeah, no, it's it's a really good movie. So if you haven't seen that, do check it out before we talk about it next week. I don't quite remember what it's streaming on, but I am pretty sure it's streaming, so check out Tubi or Prime. I think it's on one of those. Uh, or Shudder maybe. Um uh, but anyway, so that's what we're doing next week. Hope you enjoyed tonight and have a great night, horror fans. Bye. I hope you've enjoyed tonight's episode of Killer Horror Critic. If you'd like to scream with us some more, please subscribe on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at Killer From Space, as well as Instagram at Killer underscore Horror underscore Critic. New episodes release every Friday, so keep your eyeballs peeled just the way I like them. 
have a good night, horror fans.